Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. How far are you willing to go for a miracle? How far are you willing to go for a miracle? I, I remember... Um, reading the story that we're going to talk about tonight a long, long time ago. And it, it caused me to step backward because I, I thought it didn't belong. It didn't sound like the Jesus I knew. When I first read it, I said, wow, this is really strange because I've never seen Christ like this in Scripture. The, the Lord that, who healed the lepers and opened up blinded eyes and had compassion upon the weak and, and the forsaken. In this particular story, it seemed like his whole char- character had changed and it was like a, he was a different person. He was the one that was always there for the hopeless. And so when I have you turn to Matthew, the 15th chapter, you may feel a little bit like me, uh, when you first read it. But there is a definite message in the scripture. In verse 21 of Matthew 15, it says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith, let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now let's look at this. Matthew points out right away in the scriptures we're leading that she's a woman of Canaan. In other words, She's a Canaanite. The Canaanites were those that were driven from the promised land. They were below a Samaritan. These people were not favored by Israel at all, to even put it mildly. Now, let me maybe insert this. There were probably many, many such people as this woman who lived in in this area, that had problems such as hers, diseases, infirmities. 
but they would not try to seek an audience with Jesus for this very self-same reason, the fear of rejection. What Jew would have anything to do with a woman or a man of Canaan or a Canaanite? But let's look at the woman. Her need is much larger than her fear of rejection and even the possibility of rejection. That always helps when your need is larger than your fear. She was desperate, and her desperation drove her into the presence of Jesus and the disciples. You know, when we, we look at desperation, we oftentimes look at it as something to be avoided. But desperate people will do desperate things. And in this case, her desperation overcame her fear of rejection, and she approached Christ going through even his disciples, which were trying to stop her. Drive her away. She has no part in what we're doing. Now, let's look at her again. She could have used this as an excuse to walk away and claim all Christians are hypocrites and they really don't practice what they preach. And she could have been justified in that. She could have justified this by the treatment that she got. However, desperation stomped on the hurt that produced those feelings of self-justification. Think of that word, self-justification. That's, that's something that causes many Christians to fall. Offenses, the Bible says, offenses will come. We're all going to have them. We're all going to have offenses. We're all going to have opportunities for self-justification and have opportunities to walk away. The devil's really good with that playbook. She was desperate for intervention, not just any type of intervention, but only intervention that could come through Christ, and that was miraculous intervention. See, that's, that's the world's problem. They, they're desperate, but the kind of intervention that they need can only come from God. They can't get it from another source. Now, when she came, she saw that Jesus had heard her cry for mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord. But there was no reply. On Christ's part, the Bible says it's dead silence. You ever have to deal with dead silence? It's really uncomfortable, isn't it? Would you please... Say something? That's why so many preachers are always saying, can I get an amen? It's too quiet. Is there anybody here? Because silence is frightening. He was seeming to ignore her petition. You know the feeling? Has it ever happened to you? 
Have you ever prayed desperately? Have mercy, oh God, and everything is silent? Then when he does answer, what he says is, you know what, you're not the reason I'm here. I didn't come for you. Oh, that was a piercing dart, wasn't it? I'm sent for the lost sheep of Israel. I'm not sent for you. This was her second opportunity to throw up her hands and walk away stomping her feet in anger. And she could have justified those actions completely. But she was dealing with something that went beyond her own feelings. She was desperate for a healing for her daughter. Her daughter's condition needed a desperate answer. So even though her pride was hurt, her need was greater than her pride. You know, I I have to tell you, sometimes Christians can seem so uncompassionate. Christians can at times feel, seem like they're all wrapped up in themselves. And they seem to overlook the desperate who are seeking some sort of spiritual intervention. But guess what? People aren't perfect. People are human. And that's going to be a natural condition of humanity until we're transformed into Christ's image. We're always going to be in the flesh. So if you're looking for a perfect response from an imperfect being, you're going to be disappointed. I think of all the people that um, have walked away from an impending miracle because of their hurt and rejection. They're almost there. They're in the presence of the provider and the devil sends offense and they walk away just when they were about to receive their petition. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible that Jesus was testing the depth of her desire? Now, that's not, it's not something that would be hard to prove against because the Bible says this, in the day that you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Well, what does that mean? It means with all your desire. All your focus. I think he was testing her desire. How far are you willing to go for a miracle? But you would think after a couple times Jesus might have stopped, but he didn't. He goes on to tell her it's it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, I know they called uh, Canaanites dogs. I don't think it made it made you feel any better. You're just a dog. Why would I give what I came to give to Israel to a dog? That's what he referred to her as. And that's where I started to wonder when I first read this. Why, Lord, are you being so harsh and degrading? Now, 
Will she storm away? Will she wallow in rejection? Or will she continue forward with hope and faith that Christ will respond to his, her petitions even though he might feel that way? I, I think about the disciples. When everybody else left, remember, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. And many of his disciples left him at that point. And Jesus looked at the few that were still standing there and he said, well, are you going to leave also? And they said this, well, where are we going to go? Who, who can we go to that would have the words of life and truth? You're our only option. And the sooner we learn that in our living for God, that Christ is our only hope, there are no substitutes. Even though our, we may be hurt by what's said or what's not said, we will continue to stay by his side because who are we going to go to? I like her comment. What a humble heart. Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. All right. You want to call me a dog? I'll be a dog. But I got a dog at home. Well, I had a dog. Now I'm talking figuratively. And he eats some of the crumbs that fall from the table. Lord, could you let a couple drop for me? I'm desperate. I'll eat the crumbs that fall from the table. I'll just be happy with a small portion of your mercy, if need be, but I will not stop going forward until you grant me what I'm asking. Oh, how aggressive. I am not going to stop. You can keep ignoring me. You can call me a dog. You can tell me that uh, you, you're not here for me, but I'm not going to stop. Now, I, I find in Scripture that Jesus used a parable about a wicked king and about a woman that came and she wanted to, to get some satisfaction on something that had happened in her life that was not right and she kept bothering the king. And finally in the parable, the, the, he said the king is going to grant her her request just so he can get rid of her if nothing else. So my, my, my thought is this. How desperate do I want God to do something in my life? Will I continue even though my feelings are hurt or I feel like I'm rejected or whatever? Am I willing to keep coming back? I was thinking about this, and you know how I love words. I have a vivid imagination too. I'm glad God gave it to me. Have you ever noticed on a cloudy and dreary day, which we've had a lot of, that all of a sudden there will be a break in the clouds and a bright ray of sun will shine forth from the clouds and just shoot down to earth? It's almost like a laser beam from heaven. That's what happened to Christ's face. After this last comment, all of a sudden, it was like the clouds rolled away and the glory of God could not restrain itself and it broke through on his face. He had hidden it to that point to test their sincerity. And then it shone forth 
And you could tell all of a sudden his countenance showed how much he loved her. A woman that would not stop, that was interceding for not just herself, but for someone else. Now, I look in the New Testament, Jesus was pretty conservative when it came to acknowledging certain actions. He didn't throw compliments around like um, casually. However, in this case, Jesus lifts up his voice and gets everybody's attention and he says, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And it says, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. In other words, I want everybody to see what faith is. Faith overcomes any obstacle you put in front of it. There's not anything that can stop faith. And what he's doing, he's talking to those people that were descendants of Abraham. He says, look, here's this Canaanite woman. She's never sat in a synagogue. She quite possibly never spent time in the Torah or the Pentateuch. And yet here this woman comes up knowing the little bit that she knows and shows more faith in me than those that are standing around me. Here's something I thought of too as I thought on this story. I'm, she's a woman of Canaan. Canaanites were, well, they were despicable people, by the way. They were very idolatrous and all those things. And uh, God hated their sins. Has the devil ever brought up your past when you were seeking a miracle? Has he ever come back to you and said, you know, you're not, you're not a good good candidate for what you're seeking God to give you, give you for. Because your past doesn't look very good. But this, this story also encourages people like me and others to say, my past is irrelevant, irrelevant for this present day. Matter of fact, I can tell the devil old things have passed away. Everything is new. God has buried my past. My past is buried under the waters of baptism. And if he doesn't remember, why should I? Then you got those feelings of unworthiness. Well, I'm not really worthy. And then you get that feeling of, of I feel like a dog. I don't feel, I don't even feel like I'm worthy to stand in the presence of God. Well, guess what? You're not. None of us are. You know, even the best of us, our righteousness is like the Bible says a filthy rag. There's none righteous. No, not one. So if the dead, that's holding you back, it doesn't matter if you were the best person on the face of the earth, you still wouldn't be worthy. So when you're facing a situation like this in your life, it's not time to draw back into a corner and blame the circumstances of your condition or the people that have stood before you in receiving your promise, this is the time to keep going on 
reaching out for what you're seeking and to become desperate and to remember that the sun is going to break through those clouds that are blocking the light. Now, I want to take you to another example in the book of Mark. And I would like to read from Mark, the fifth chapter, verse 1. This was another one of those stories that I read and I thought, wow, this is really, really uh, interesting. It's so different than many of the other uh, miracles that we read about in Scripture. Mark 5, verse 1. And I'm going to read down to uh, verse 20. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. (laughs) That's an interesting phrase. Nobody could tame him. Nobody could control him. Nobody could counsel him into being normal. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now you need to understand there's two entities here. There's the man, and then there's the evil spirits that are in the man. And I'll just make this point. I'll come back to it later. The man is the one that ran towards Christ. The spirits were the ones that were trying to get away from him. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now these are the spirits. They're referred to in that personal pronoun as he. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he had got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them, What great things the Lord has done for you 
and how he has compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. marveled. Let's look at the man for a moment. This is quite a miracle. This wasn't just one demon. It wasn't 20 demons. We know there were a legion, at least a thousand. This man was separated from his family. It doesn't tell me a, a lot about his personal relationships, but we know that he was separated. Others had tried to help him and helped control him, but he was just overwhelmed by the spirits that were in his life. He had no peace at, during the day or at night because it says he cried out in the tombs at night in agony. There was no release from his condition. But it was this, when Jesus came to that area, he must have saw in the distance as the disciples and Christ was in the boat a light on the horizon. Now it might, have be, it might be that the demons were the one that sensed that this was the Christ and the man picked up on their fear. Though the, the devil is an oppressor. The devil tries to put people in spiritual bonds. He was bound in, with chains but he was also bound in spirit. And when that man saw that there was an opportunity for freedom from his bondage, there wasn't not one demon in all of hell that could stop him from reaching Christ. And I find that amazing. 1,000 demons could not stop him from coming to Christ. I'm telling you that it wasn't the demons that were running to Jesus. They knew what was going to happen when he got there. I could hear him say, if I can only reach him, if I can only get to Christ, I can get delivered from the bondage and the chains, not only the external chains, but the in internal chains as well. I find it interesting that when he got there, he even with a thousand spirits inside of him, he still worshipped. Came to him, worshipped him. Demons cannot stop you from worshipping. God has given you the ability in some areas to overcome him. Now, as Christians, when I receive the spirit of, of God inside of me and the blood is applied to my life, uh, he can't, the, the spirit can't live inside of me. That place has a no vacancy sign. It's, uh, it's, it's full. But that tells me that I have authority to break chains that the devil might put on me. And even though I might be living under the oppressive attack of the enemy, Again, I say, a Christian with the Holy Ghost cannot be possessed by a demon, but he can be oppressed by a demon. That's, there's two different things, possession and oppression. Some are oppressed. But if you want deliverance, there's no oppression that can stop you from worshiping him and coming to him for deliverance. So that was the second. 
but there's another one. This one is, is interesting as well. It's the, it's, it's the woman that has had a problem in her life for 12 years. And you know exactly where I'm going. We've heard the story over and over again. She has an issue of blood. We don't know what it is. It could, there's a lot of blood diseases. There's a lot of things that it could be. And it, that's not important. What is important is that it was not able to be cured and she had spent everything that she had to live on to get delivered from this but could not. And she was at her wit's end and she was desperate to say the least. And I'll read this. It says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. <laughs> well put. Sometimes the doctor hurts you more than the disease. That was a question that I had the other day. Someone called me and asked me about hospice, what hospice is. Could I explain it? Hospice gives you deliverance from the doctor. And you may not understand it, but sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. And I'll leave it at that. She spent everything on the physicians and the physicians had did nothing to help her and she was no better. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she was worse. She grew worse. Now when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. It came out like a fountain. She knew she was healed. She could feel that she was delivered of this disease. And she let her gratitude and everything come out. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now those are three examples. She was delivered. Well, I got one more. But the, on these three examples, they're all desperate. They're all delivered. And one more. Um, this is part of that story. Matter of fact, if you were to continue on, and I think I'm in... Um, Verse 21, I thought I wrote that chapter down. I think it might be, hmm, I guess we're gonna, I'm going to be reading it off the page here. I forgot what chapter it was in and what book. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, 
And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now the story we read is sandwiched after these verses. The woman with the issue of blood is healed on his way to the home of Jairus, whose little daughter is near the point of death. Now, I, again, I, I sometimes stop when I'm reading the Bible and I try to focus on the story. Here I have a father whose little girl is, is dying. And his only hope is a man called Christ who's done many miracles. And they're trying to get him to the home before she dies because they believe if they get Jesus to this little girl before she dies, he can heal her. They don't have a lot of faith that he can do it after she's dead. So the goal is to get him there while she's alive. Now, here's this woman with the issue of blood who's so desperate herself after 12 years that interferes with a miracle in progress. She stops the caravan and she gets a healing. And after this healing, let's see, I'll, I'll continue to read. Um, after she was healed, it says in verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So we have this short insert between, in this miracle, these two miracles, and now the daughter's dead. I can see the father's face as he, as he thinks that now hope is gone and maybe he's mad that somebody jumped ahead of him in line. That was my miracle. Now notice how Christ handles this situation. In verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. You know why? Because he didn't want people bringing in the spirit of fear on this poor guy. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep the child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside. Don't you understand? We're having a memorial service. The lady's dead. And Jesus tells them, get out. If we're going to have a miracle, we're going to get rid of all the negative fear and commotion of mourning. You need to get those people in your life that are breeding, are a breeding ground for discouragement out of the way. Don't allow them into the inner circle of your faith. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and they entered in where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kamai, which is translated, 
little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. It's not the first time that this is going to happen. You can see, you can see that with the miracle of Lazarus, with Mary and Martha. He delayed his approach. You ever feel that time's running out? And everything seems to be getting in the way of, of God's miracle for you? God, don't you know time is of the essence? Can't you move me up on the click, the queue? Then we get frustrated with those that detain him. Don't trouble Jesus anymore, she's dead. That's the world. Just give up. That's, it's all over. It was a great idea. We gave it a shot. It's almost like that first miracle, isn't it? You have opportunities to walk away from it. That lady had three opportunities to walk away. How desperate are you? Many people's faith comes with restrictions. Then you've got the outside source where people are going to try to stop on your faith and steal away your hope. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And then I think about that man with the child that was throwing himself into the fire. He says, Lord, I do believe. Help thou my unbelief. I like it when there's honest statements like that. Lord, I believe. But my belief has a fragrance of unbelief on it. So I say this. Don't let the fog of fear block the light of faith. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then we'll see face to face. Trust in God, trust in his word, and belief always drives away fear. Well, I got, I'm going to take five more minutes, and you may wonder why I'm going to do this, because this would be a perfect place to stop. But there's something inside me that always demands an answer. I've, I've heard many, in, in 43 years, I've heard a lot of people ask questions that people couldn't give them an answer for. And we just blow it off and say, just trust God, just trust God. But inside, the devil uses that, that question that went unanswered to plant fear and doubt. And what I'm going to read to you, I preached all of us. You've taught on this scripture yourself. You quote it. I, I could start the verses now, and you could, you could finish them by memory. But there's still an unanswered question here. He said to them, Mark 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whosoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany 
I'm reading from the NIV, by the way. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. So the accuser of the brethren comes to a young saint and he says, you know what? You laid that, your hand on that person and that person died. Well, hello. Of course. People die. Uh, I'm a pretty conservative guy when it comes to Scripture. I believe that this book is the, is the handbook of humanity. I believe that the, the words are true and they're there for a purpose. And if there's any misunderstanding, there's something that I don't understand, it, it's on my part and not on God's part. I've heard a lot of messages on the scripture. And like I said, I preached on this, this scripture many, many times. However, as I have worked with death and in hospice for all these years, I've, I've seen people holding on to this verse as, as they've stepped off into the realm of eternity with this verse on their lips. Why then, people ask, is that some people are healed immediately and others after time are, don't seem to be healed at all? Why is it that some are healed right away and others are not? Is, and that brings up the next question, then is God a respecter of persons? The Bible says that we should not compare ourselves among ourselves because that's really not a good idea because each one of us is different. And then the devil comes in and he says, does he love some folks more than he loves others? Does he, he love that person more than he loves you? And the devil will bring these questions in and many people get frustrated and they walk away from God. And that's why we have to preach on this. That's just the short list of the questions that runs through people's mind. But let me state it clearly. I have been fortunate and blessed to have an immediate healing in my life more than once. And if I were to ask you, if I, I'm going to do it. Has you, anybody in this room, ever prayed and been healed immediately of a sickness or a disease in your life? Raise your hand. Absolutely. God is a healer. I put this under as a little note. Today while I was uh, in Pewaukee, I was at the cancer center. I, I was working there and um, I had told you some time ago, remember I had the brain cyst? Remember I, I told you that, that God healed me of? Who comes walking up to me today? It's been 16 years probably 16 years, it was the radiology guy that initially had diagnosed that brain cyst that nearly killed me. He knew my first name. He never forgot. He's walking up. Now, I recognized him. This is the guy. I'll give you the short example of the story after a gallbladder surgery, I'll give you a real short, I don't want to bore you, I nearly passed out and they took me to the emergency room. They sent me in for a CAT scan 
and they found out I had a large cyst just above my, in the back of my brain, just above my spinal column, and it had cut off the flow of fluid from the spine to the brain, which when that happens, you die. And he was, they saw that there, and they immediately sent me to St. Luke's to urology, not urology, um, am, I, am I right? Neurology. I'm thinking of urology. I think I'm getting my names wrong here. That's the wrong part of the body. Um, but, and he looked at it, and this was, he was the head of uro- neurology at St. Luke's. He looked at it, and he said, we're going to have to go into your skull, and we're going to have to do this surgery. And I went through all the bad news of the after effects and things that were going to happen to me after the surgery. But what happened to me is it just so happened that Parkway was having a ministerial conference for the state of Wisconsin. I was in harvest time. I was there. And I remember I didn't want anybody to know what was going on because I couldn't deal with sympathy. I was just trying to get used to the diagnosis and I didn't want people telling me how sorry they felt for me. And somebody let the cat out of the bag. His initials are RK. <laughs> and all of a sudden I, I'm back by the table outside the sanctuary and I hear, will Steve Kiley come up to the front? And I knew right away. And I didn't want to go because it was an emo- I was trying to push it off. I, wasn't try- I didn't want to think about it. And now I had to think about it. And they brought me up there and they said, they, they told the story about how if God didn't heal me, this, this could kill me. And that didn't make me feel any better, like hearing that again. And they just sent a simple prayer. And then I went back, and then it happened. Everybody after the service was saying, Brother of Kylie, we, we're so sorry. We, we love knowing you and things like that. You've been a good friend. And I thought they were reading my eulogy. But the point is this. God healed it immediately. And when I went back with my brother and my wife to St. Luke's, they were just going to give, there was one last uh, exam to go through what they were going to do, map out their procedure before they did the surgery, which was going to be shortly. And he brought up a new uh, CAT scan or MRI, and he's got it up on his his, his little lighted wall there, and it's not there. And I, he says, I can't find it. And I, then I, I have to confess, I was saying, really? I said, I don't want to get my hopes up too quick. And then he got on the phone and he was yelling at the radiologist downstairs. And this is the guy that's going to be operating on me and he's upset. And he says, what's going on? It's not on the sheet here. And then they came to the conclusion that it wasn't there. So I, I, I'm an antagonist. You, you, you'll know me if you know me at all. I went back to Oconomowoc and went to the radiologist that did the original CAT scan. And I said, I told him what happened. I called him on the phone while I was at the hospital. I was actually the chaplain at Oconomowoc Memorial. And he said, Steve, come down and let's, let's look at it. So I went down into radiology and he brought it up. He says, there it is, right there. And I said, well, it ain't there now. 
So when, I'm, when I said all that to say this, God can. But if you were to look at my chart, there's 84 different things there on it. From this disease and this condition to that condition that I prayed for, and they're still there. Why is it that God does some, but he doesn't do others? Yeah, let's talk about it for just a second. The Bible says in Mark 16 that sick people will get well. Now that is a promise that you can take to the bank. You can trust in that. But let me look at it this way. Let me give you an example. You and I live in a very unique time frame. Uh, we have seasons. We have 365 days in a year and um, 24 hours every day and 60 minutes in every hour and 60 seconds in every minute. And you know what? That's all we know. We know we are born. We know that we're going to live. And then we know that the Bible says we're going to die. It's, it's unfortunate that in our culture, we only see the speck of time that we live in compared to eternity. All we see is the speck of time that we live in, three score and ten. That's 70 years. And uh, I, if you were to have a calculator, some of you might be quick on the draw, I want you to take your calculator and I want you to do the math. And I'm going to give you a problem, and you tell me what the answer is. I want you to take three score and ten, 70, and see what percentage it is of eternity. Okay? I'll wait a little bit. You can't solve it, can you? Because you, don't, you only have one number. You can't compute the problem because God doesn't live in just our time of frame. He, God's existence is in an eternal existence. He doesn't have living in a season or hours or minutes. He knows the end from the beginning. He, he's from the past. He's in the future. So I have to be careful that I understand it according to what he's meaning it to mean. Let me read from 11, Revelation 21 and 4. The Bible says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Notice the part of the verse that says, the old order of things has passed away. That's the dimension that we're living in right now. That's where we're at. In eternity for the believer in Christ, there's no, there's no death or dying sickness or disease. So let's put it this way simply. Sometimes God heals miraculously. A miracle is something that is outside the course of the natural realm. That's why it's a miracle. 
Sometimes he heals through the natural realm, through time. You get the flu, and four or five days later, you're healed. Sometimes he uses the natural realm. But sometimes he uses the eternal realm. But the same object is accomplished. I, I, thought about, I thought about my dad when that was the most devastating thing I can remember in my early walk for God to happen. My 59-year-old dad to die of cancer. He was only 59 and we had prayed, God, please heal him. You, you touched him one time and you gave him seven years. But then I came to the realization that he was healed. He'll never, he doesn't have, he'll never have cancer again. There's no cancer in heaven. There's no diseases or pain or suffering. Do you know something? Everybody that's been born from Adam, Abraham and Moses, they all died of something. Just not natural causes. I look at, uh, look at the great men of our faith, Andrew Ershon and the other people that have been here. They've all died of something because that was the natural course and God said it was going to happen. But sometimes God provides those spiritual unction things to people that will, that will seek him. But here's the moral of the story, that whether whatever way he chooses to heal you, you still have to seek him with faith and belief and trust him. Because God can do it. But don't let the devil tell you that if you're not healed at the very instant that you seek him, that you're a wicked person and you don't have enough faith because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And if he can get you to believe that lie... He can separate you from a fruitful walk with God. I'm, I'm going to end this, but I have to make this statement. I've got to wrap this up. How, there have been a lot of times with all these things that I've gone through that I've walked out the door of the church building and wondered what in the world was wrong with me. I walked out of a church service where the Holy Ghost was flowing. I walked out with condemnation because the preacher told me that if I had faith enough, I would be healed. And I said, I don't have faith enough. And the devil took that and he's used that knife to kill a lot of people. You just keep on seeking God. And don't let that spirit of condemnation come on you. Keep your faith. Do not be afraid, the Lord said. Do not be afraid. All right, that's a good place to stop. Hallelujah. Let's stand together.
Lord, tonight as we've, um, we've sat here, Lord, we have seen uh, in our own lives that miraculous intervention that you can, you've provided for those that seek your face. And I know, Lord Jesus, that there, there are times that we're expected to live by faith even though we don't understand why things happen the way they do. But Lord, that faith, that trust builds perseverance, Lord, and I'm thankful for that because when I'm struggling, I'm becoming stronger. It's causing me, Lord, to lean more on you than my own ability. And Lord, I actually thank you for not doing it at times because the things that were meant and sent by Satan to kill me have only made me stronger in my walk for you. And that's what's important, Lord. So tonight I pray as we leave this place that we would walk with renewed faith and renewed hope in your word because it's true and it will accomplish that for which it is sent. Now, Lord, I know that there's a multitude of problems that all of us have. Some of us are experiencing things in our life that are, are seemingly overwhelming. And tonight, I want to open this altar, Lord Jesus, for people to come. And Lord, I pray that you heal them. I pray that you just deliver them of all the things that are going on in their life. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.